Listen to the Tommy Schnermecker Show live weekdays 9 to noon on CJAD 800 and CJAD.com. Jessica Bennett is a feature writer, columnist at the New York Times, the author of a fascinating book called Feminist Fight Club, an office survival manual for a sexist workplace. And she joins me right now. Good morning. Good morning. Jessica, where'd the idea come from? What makes this a a survival manual? Well, I'm in a real-life feminist fight club. We don't fight each other, but we do fight sexism in the workplace. And the book came together with the inspiration from that club. It's a group I've been meeting with since I began my career about 10 years ago. And we would gather monthly, and we still do, and we would share tricks of the trade for how to overcome some of the subtle biases we face at work. And, and I know that for a lot of my early career, I spent wishing that I had some of these tools. So what I wanted to do in this book was take some of the problems that we all know exist, but provide really practical and easy to do tactics or fight moves, as I call them, to overcome them. Jessica Bennett, my guest, the book Feminist Fight Club, an office survival manual for a sexist workplace. Tell me about, uh, give me some examples of those subtle biases in the workplace. Yeah, you know, things like interruptions. We saw this play out here on the national stage in the U.S. election. Donald Trump interrupted Hillary Clinton 51 times from the stage. She interrupted him in return something like two or three times. And Women, on average, are interrupted at twice the rate that men are. So that's one character in the book. Another character is the bro-propriator. I've given them all sort of funny names. The guy who appropriates your idea. And, you know, this may be someone maliciously taking credit for your idea, or it may be the fact that even in mixed gender settings, what happens is that we, both women and men, instinctively think that good ideas come from men. So ideas often get attributed to the man in the room instead of a woman. Now, you're saying that that you gave the name Bropriator, a guy who takes credit uh, from a woman for, for her idea. Uh, wouldn't that same guy, if he's a boss, for instance, take credit from a good idea from one of his male employees as well? Possibly, but what the research shows is that we often attribute ideas to men because for so long it was men who were coming up with the ideas. It was men who were in the workplace. So there's all of this subtle, deeply entrenched gender bias that I think a lot of times we don't even realize we have. All right. Now, when this happens, you say that the book is a uh, survival manual with all kinds of hints how to deal with it. What would be a good way to deal with that if a male boss steals uh, a female employee's ideas? Right. So it was interesting. There was a piece in The Washington Post a couple of weeks ago about the women of the White House. And the women of the White House and the Obama White House had decided to employ this thing they called amplification. And what that meant was when they would get invited to meetings, they would bring each other along and they would repeat one another's ideas and give credit back to each other. And that was because they felt like they weren't getting credit. And even in the highest office in the land, in our land here in America, this was happening. So some of the simple things that people can do are find someone else to interrupt the interrupter. You know, if you're getting interrupted constantly, somebody can chime in and and say, can you let her finish? Or giving credit where it's due, simply noticing that when some of these things are happening and attributing the ideas back to the person they came from. Are women too loyal at the workplace? 
well, it's a tough question. Women do stay in jobs longer than men do. And I think that I know that I have had the instinct to kind of just put my head down and do the good work and assume that eventually I will be recognized. But I think a lot of times in the modern workplace, in order to be recognized, you have to actually put your head out and self-promote. In in the book, you said you quote what Madeleine Albright said. You said there's a she said there's a very special place in hell for women who don't support other women. And you said, while the sentiment is noble, if it were true, uh, most of us would be burning at the fiery gates. Tell me about the winnemy, the queen bee, the mean girl, and the unfriendly firer. Yeah, so I think there's a concept we hear about a lot in the media, you know, the idea of women not supporting women. And there is some truth to it. The, the researchers found that 95% of women have felt undermined at work by another woman. And if you look at that stat, it's probably safe to assume that most of us have been the underminer as well. And I think that there is this sense that because there are only a few spots for women, there shouldn't be, but that's the way the numbers are going, then you must need to competitively elbow the woman next to you in order to get that small piece of the pie. And so oftentimes you see this, women do not support other women at work. But my sense is if we could level the playing field from a larger perspective here, then competition would still exist, but women wouldn't need to compete against one another more harshly. What's the worst piece of bias that you've seen in the workplace? I don't know if there's one that's the worst. It's, it differs so much by industry. I think the wage gap is a huge, huge issue because that's dealing with financials. And, you know, women on average make 79 cents to the male dollar. If you're a woman of color, that is that number is much, much worse. So I think there are these really problematic structural issues that we need to deal with, like equal pay. But there are also these subtleties, things like when a woman negotiates a raise, she's viewed as pushy and disliked, and she's less likely to get it. And for so long, we've heard the statistic about how women don't negotiate and women need to be going into their bosses and asking for raises. And if you don't ask, you're never going to get it. And yes, that's true. But what happens when you get there? Oftentimes, you're penalized simply for being female. So what do you do? How do you handle that? Well, this is tricky. There's all sorts of tools and tricks for women specifically who are planning to negotiate. Some of them are good across the board, like come in prepared, bring a list of things that you have accomplished so that you're relying on data. Um, But there's also research that has found that women are more likely to be successful when they're negotiating if they smile. And to me, that's so, so tricky because you shouldn't have to smile. You know, any woman has probably been told or asked over the course of her life, why aren't you smiling? This is a common thing that we face. And yet suddenly we have to do it to get the raise. So there's research that provides hacks for some of these things. And in some instances and cases, I think it's a question of, are you willing to grin and bear it to get the money? And can you pay it forward for other women once you get there? Or are you going to simply opt out of that structure. Jessica Bennett, my guest, feature writer, columnist at the New York Times. Her book is called Feminist Fight Club, an office survival manual for a sexist workplace. Jessica, what's the reaction been to the book? You know, the most interesting reaction to me has been from men who have found it very useful and been very receptive. And that, to me, is so encouraging because I think that 
you know, while we, I use these silly phrases like appropriation and man interruption to describe some of these common behaviors, at the end of the day, men are really, really important allies for women who want to have equality in the workplace. And equality is not just good for women, it's good for men too. It's good for businesses. It makes businesses more profitable. And so the response from men has been very encouraging. They seem to love it. And I think that the humor of the book, knock on wood, I hope the humor of the book has really drawn them in. Tell me about the enemy, the slack luster. Well, we've probably all experienced this person. This is the slacker who, like, manages to do a really good job of making it seem like he or she is doing good work, but actually is playing Candy Crush on their phone all day long. And, you know, what the research shows is that this is relevant because we oftentimes mistake competence and confidence. So if you're a slacker and you're not really getting anything done, but you manage to look really confident in front of the boss then we probably think you're doing a lot more than you do. And men are more likely to exhibit this behavior, this sense of, in one study, it was called honest overconfidence. And so, so the slackluster gets credit for other people's work and isn't really doing anything. My guest, Jessica Bennett, the book is called Feminist Fight Club, an office survival manual for a sexist workplace. My guest is Jessica Bennett. The book is called Feminist Fight Club and offers survival manual for a sexist workplace. Uh, what would you say to uh, th- these two texts that came in? One says, uh, women work on average only 70% of the amount of time men work. Women work in less dangerous fields. They receive lower paying degrees. Uh, men uh, live eight years less than women. What would you say to that texter? Um, wait, that came in over text. You guys are texting during the show. I'm very impressed by that. Um, I would say I'm not really sure what what is the point that is being made there, that women deserve less pay? No, he's saying that they're not paid the less. Tax? They earn No, he says they earn less because they choose to work less. It's a choice that, that they make. They work right. fewer okay. hours. So then my response to that would be that's wrong. In some cases, yes. And there are different data sets for different ways of looking at this. But even when you compare men and women in the same exact industries with the same exact degrees, one year out of college with no children, women still make 93% of what men do. So the numbers are a little bit better there, but they still exist. And part of the issue here is women take time off to care for children. If we had an equal playing field where it was also where parental leave was not just maternity leave or there was leave at all in in the case of the United States, then probably these problems, some of these issues and this gap would dissipate. Tell me about the part in the book where you discuss feminine self-sabotage. Right. So, you know, we live in a society where for years and years and years we've been told, women, that we are not meant to be in leadership positions. We are nurturers, not leaders. And so over time, a lot of these behaviors have been ingrained in us. Things like not wanting to speak up, things like taking on menial tasks at the office, taking on the planning of the company holiday party, or taking the notes or grabbing the coffee, because for so long, women were in secretarial positions, and that was the only opportunity provided to them. So some of these things require a little bit of unlearning, you know, not offering to take the notes, not offering to grab the coffee or learning to speak up in meetings and not apologize when you do it. Who's the office mom? What's the office mom like? 
So the office mom is that woman who takes on all of the menial tasks. So whether it's in an office or an hourly job where you're cleaning up after everyone, taking the notes, you know, you volunteer to bring the cupcakes for the person's birthday at the office, you more frequently volunteer for these tasks. You're also more frequently to be asked to do them. Women are more likely to be asked to do them. And if you say no to them, often women are penalized. When a man, you know, brings the cupcakes for the party, everyone thinks he's a great guy. He's such a nice guy to be taking this extra work on. But we actually expect women to do this. So when she doesn't do it, she's penalized. So the office mother is the person who takes on the mother load of menial tasks and has to figure out a way to get out of that, because at the end of the day, if you're spending all your time taking the notes, then you're not contributing the ideas. This interesting, very interesting part of the book called the, about the credit defaulter. You say if you ask a man to explain his success, he'll point to his innate qualities and skill. But ask a woman and she'll attribute it to things like hard work, help from others or luck. Why is that? Well, when a woman takes credit or brags, she's often viewed as being boastful. We don't like her. The research shows that we view her as being cocky and, you know, not ladylike. And so over time, women have learned that they're not supposed to take credit for things. They're not supposed to boast. And so ultimately, if you're not drawing attention to your good work and you're not taking credit for the things you do well, then you're not going to get ahead because at the end of the day, in a modern workplace, you have to get credit for the things you do. And only the things that are being seen are the ones that get recognized. And the the saboteur, the, the, the doormat? The doormat is the woman who takes on too much. You know, she's balancing a million things. She's got a family at home. She's still doing the majority of the household domestic work, even though she may be the breadwinner in her home. And she feels this incredible pressure to accomplish at all times, to not screw up, to take on everything. And And the research shows that women often do feel this. They're more likely to be exhausted. And when they make a mistake, that mistake is scrutinized more and remembered longer. So there really is this embedded sense that we can't screw up and we must take everything on at once. I'm fascinated. You you talk about it in the book about size matters. You said you, the, your instructions to women are be as big as, as you are. Sit up straight, stand tall, clench your fist to make a point. Put your feet flat on the floor. Bring a sweater if you're cold so you're not curling yourself up in a shawl. Do women actually have to be told that? They're, they're not aware of this on their own to take <laughs> well, up space? I know that I I do this a lot, and I have to unlearn this behavior. You know, some of this is really simple stuff. We have been taught to take up the least amount of space possible. But what the research shows is that taking up space can actually raise your confidence levels, and it also makes you look confident. Like, body language is important when you're conveying an idea. And so if you're sitting curled up in your seat like a pretzel and timidly raising your hand, then people aren't going to think that you know what you're talking about. So there are some tricks that women use like power posing, which is essentially standing up straight, putting your hands on your hips and standing in a powerful position that you can do for 90 seconds. And the research has shown that your testosterone levels will go up, your stress hormones will go down, and you will actually become more confident. This uh, listener sending in a text saying works uh, at work at home at, at depot he works at sorry he works at home depot with five women mm-hmm. he said they have no trouble expressing their opinions to anyone including the company president so are women well, learning you know more power to them that's great 
what was the most difficult part of putting the book together? I think taking a lot of this research, you know, everything in this book, while it's attempting to be tongue-in-cheek, is rooted in data. There's not a scenario in this book that doesn't have research to back it up. So I spent a lot of time digging into academic research and trying to take that research and distill it in a way that felt really actionable and memorable and fun. So taking academic research and making it fun and funny was a challenge. I was amazed at the part in the book where you quote some very famous women who've done incredibly well. Jodie Foster, the actress, had said she thought it was a fluke she got into Yale and that she won an Academy Award. And you quote her saying, I thought everybody would find out. They'd take the Oscar back. They'd come to my house knocking on the door and say, excuse me, we meant to give that to someone else who was going to Meryl Streep. And Meryl Streep, when asked in an interview if she would always act, the woman with the most Oscars in history said, why would anyone want to see me again in a movie? I don't know how to act anyway, so why am I doing this? They really said this. Why all the self-deprecation? That's the, that's the question, right? Um, you know, there's this term called imposter syndrome, and this is a psychological theory that finds that the people who have the pressure of accomplishing first, so it can be a woman, it can be a member of a minority group, it can be somebody in the LGBT population, they feel this incredible pressure to achieve and it can be crippling and it can cause them to doubt themselves. So I know many women who in one way or another have felt this in some fashion, you know, perhaps they get nervous before going into a meeting and they don't think they're qualified or perhaps they get a big promotion and they suddenly feel like a fraud, like they didn't deserve it. This is something that I think so many women have felt at one point or another and probably a lot of men too. And there are some things you can do to try to overcome this feeling, the first of which is just acknowledging that you're not the only one. Like if Jodie Foster and Meryl Streep and Michelle Obama are feeling this this way, then probably it's a pretty widespread phenomenon. We'll end with this text. This listener saying, uh, wants to know how old you are. I'd say women have come a long way. And just for the record, I don't usually like men who brag and some men make wonderful muffins. Everyone goes far with a smile. <laughs> All right. I love that. Um, I'm 34, and I think that that's a great point. A lot of men do make amazing muffins, and, you know, men are not the enemy here. Men are, are wonderful and some of our greatest allies, and we can all work together to solve some of these problems. Thank you so much. A pleasure talking to you. Jessica Bennett, the book is called Feminist Fight Club, an office survival manual for a sexist workplace. You're listening to The Tommy Schnurmacher Show on CJAD. News Talk Radio, CJAD 800, CJAD.com.